morning comes from Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Is it good to be here this morning, church? What a delight it is to worship our God. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Hear now the word of God. Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother, Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Father, we thank you for your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself. We thank you for this uh, very startling and, and sober story, this story of, of wickedness and sin and rebellion. We trust you have preserved it and passed it on to us this morning, for we need to hear it. I pray that your word would be, as it says, a mirror upon which we can see ourselves and that we may know how we may deal with the sin in our lives. So I pray for us. We are sinners, Father. We're saying that sin no longer has a hold over us, and and one day that will be fully true, as Mark has taught But we know today we continue to struggle. So please, will you help us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The theologian Cornelius Plantica recounts a story which occurred in 1989 in Iowa. It's a story of two striking young women who found themselves fighting for the same boyfriend. 
It was Cindy and Sonia. They had grown up together, gone to school together, and had spent most of their lives competing in beauty contests together. Sometimes one would win, sometimes the other would win. For instance, Cindy won the title of Miss Harvest Queen, while at the local high school, Sonia was named Miss Homecoming. The main competition between these girls wasn't in their beauty competition. It flared up in the area of romance. It just so happened that both of them were in love with Jim. And I'm not sure what Jim thought about this. The papers don't tell us. But in any case, Jim had to choose, which he did. He left Sydney for Sonia. And soon after, Jim and Sonia announced their plan to marry Well, Planiger writes, when Sydney heard the news, she must have felt as if she had been stabbed, as if Jim and Sonia were trying to twist a knife in her ribs. Sydney wasn't used to disappointment and romance. Plus, it was bad enough to have lost Jim, but what really poisoned Cindy was the thought that her rival walked off with the prize, that her rival was pleased and satisfied, that her hated rival was filled to the brim with bliss. So Cindy rose up against Sonia and slew her. One autumn night in Iowa, Miss Harvest Queen strangled Miss Homecoming with a leather belt and left the whole community choking with grief. Unfortunately, this is a story that we have heard before. It's a story as old as man. We, see, we don't have to look far, do we? We get to the fourth chapter in the Bible and we see something very similar. In fact, uh, the story we have before us is even more sobering. It's the murder of one's own brother. And by the way, it doesn't begin at a beauty pageant. It begins at church service. In the morning, Cain comes to church and worships God. In the afternoon, he's beating his brother to death. The question I have is, how does this happen? Uh, how, do you, how do you go from worshiping God to murder in a matter of hours? How, how do you go from a petty high school rivalry to, to strangling? Now, I think what Scripture does for us here, I think why God has preserved this text for us, is that we may gain an appreciation of the wickedness of sin. The progression, the growth of sin in our life. We see here in God's Word that sin is a relentless monster that will not stay put. It grows and brings more and more destruction. It is a a cancer. And so as we read this story, I want you to, to realize, as we have been saying throughout our study of Genesis, this is not simply a book about what happened, but it is a book about what happens. And you need to find your place in this story. And just to give you a heads up, you're not Abel. You're Cain. And I'm Cain. In fact, the story's not even about Abel, is it? It's about the acts of Cain. And we see here what sin does in Cain's life as a way to, to understand what sin can do in our life. We, we see at least four stages of the growth of sin in Cain's life. It begins by abiding sin, then it becomes festering sin, and then thirdly it becomes ruling sin, and lastly it becomes destroying sin. And so let's consider this morning sin, that we may know the enemy that fights against us, that we may turn from it. We see, first of all, that sin begins by abiding within us. The Bible begins here, this story, in verse 1, saying, Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And so Genesis 4 clearly begins with good news. 
Great news. The birth of a, of a child. Many of you have experienced that great joy that a child's birth brings. Some of the greatest days in your life. I imagine it was especially exciting for Adam and Eve. Can you imagine the, the first pregnancy? And what would that have been like for, for Adam to put his hands on his wife's tummy and feel his son stirring within her womb, kicking and moving about? And Can you imagine what the first birth was like? That must have been exciting. Um, there by themselves, never seen this before, and out comes a son. She names him Cain, which means acquired. And he even has this explanation saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, I mentioned last week that phrase, with the help of, is not found in the Hebrew text. A very literal wooden reading would be, I have gotten a man, the Lord. I think that's what she's saying. You remember God promised her in verse 15 of chapter 3, you will have a son and that son will kill the devil. He will destroy the serpent. And so what does she do? She has a son and she thinks, well, here he is. Cain is the Savior. Cain is Jesus. I don't want to spoil the story for you, but it's not going to turn out that way. He's more like a serpent. And so she has this son with great joy. She also has another son, for we read in verse 2, and again she bore his brother Abel. I find it interesting here that there's no explanation. There's no, there's no joy really written. It's just, and by the way, she had Abel too. I find that interesting because I'm the youngest of three boys. And I know all the pictures of the firstborn. Then you got some pictures of the secondborn. And when it gets down to me, it was, oh, I remember you. And so here she names him Abel. Abel actually means vanity. It means, um, some have translated it um, insubstantial. Not a lot of hope for this boy. All the hope you see is placed in Cain. It's all put upon him. Well, these boys grow up and get a job. For verse 2 tells us, and again, uh, uh, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now you remember, uh, so Cain's a farmer, Abel's a shepherd. Remember what Cain's daddy is. Adam's a farmer. Remember we saw that at the end of Genesis 3, that, that God tells Adam, by the sweat of your brow you're going to eat bread from the ground and the ground's going to be cursed, etc. So we know that Adam becomes a farmer and Cain grows up and he just follows in his daddy's footstep. He's going to become a farmer like his dad. And Abel, uh, he goes off and he begins to tend for sheep. And so they begin to work and, and we get to verse 3 and we see here that they gather together for worship in the course of time. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the, fir- of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Now this is fascinating to me. This is the, this is the first uh, act of corporate worship that we see. Right here are people gathering together for one purpose, to worship God. That it's not simply this individual act, but they actually come together um, two boys coming to worship him, each bringing an offering. And, and we see one of the worshipers is accepted. His offering is accepted and therefore he is accepted. The other's offering is rejected and therefore he himself is rejected. You see verse 5 is very clear, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. That's fascinating to me. I think it probably should be interesting to you that God rejects some worship. Isn't that interesting? I think in our day, we think as long as we're sincere, that God will accept whatever worship we bring Him. But it's not so. God evaluates worship. 
He, he wants it to be according to what he calls for it to be. We ought to keep that in mind when we gather together and worship him, that, that God is evaluating. Are we doing what he calls us to do? Well, evidently, Cain was not, and Abel was. Abel pleased God, Cain did not. Now, before we discuss why it is that God accepts Abel's offering and not Cain, I do want, to, I do want you to notice that Cain is a religious man. Right? He's not an atheist. He's not sitting on the couch. He's a churchgoer. He's not even worshiping the wrong God. He's orthodox. He, he's not a heretic. He's worshiping the right God. I trust he came from a very religious, if I can't say that, use the word, a very Christian home. I mean, we talk to our children of what it means to be saved. Adam and Eve could tell their children what it means to be lost. For they were the only people ever to live in a state of non-lostness. And they could explain what it is that they lost because of sin. Could you imagine those family worships? You know, I tell my children what heaven's going to be like based upon the revelation in God's word. Adam and Eve could tell them what it's like from personal experience. Let me tell you what sin has done. I trust that home was very devout. I trust they were pleading with their boys, do not believe the devil. You must trust God. And, and I, I believe that, that Cain believed in God. Obviously, he believed in God more than you and I believed. There's no doubt in his mind that God existed. He's walking right up to him. He's talking to him, having a conversation with him. And so he's not simply a believer. He's a worshiper. He's not on his couch on Sunday morning. He's coming to God to worship him. Verse 3 tells us in the course of time, right? It's 1030 Sunday morning. Time to go and be with God's people to worship God. And so we see Cain coming coming to worship. I think this is important because we're so quick to condemn him. And, and, and certainly he's a sinful man. But do, do, do realize that he comes and worships God and even brings a gift in his hand, doesn't he? He doesn't come empty-handed. He comes to worship God with something to offer. Right? Because I think Cain understood when you go to worship God, it's not simply about what you get from worship, but it's about what you can give, what you can bring. I say this because I think in America, a lot of people attend worship um, not to give, but to receive. In fact, a lot of people attend worship and pretend they're God. Right? Who's, whose job is it to evaluate worship? Well, it's God's job. But I think often, sometimes people come and they think, well, did I like the music? Was it too hot? Was the sermon too long? Not enough donuts? Coffee was bad? The nursery didn't work out? There's a light bulb out? And we, go, we, we, we look at it and we begin to, to evaluate it. I, I think you ought to beware of the question, how did you like the worship service? No, I think there's some value there, but I think there's some trepidation. Maybe the better question was, how was your worship? What did you bring? Too many people say, you know, I wasn't happy with what I got. Their worship did not please me. And I think that's God's role. So let me just quickly tell you, the pew is not your throne by which you judge the worship of others. You have come, as, as I hope, to worship him. Cain came to worship him. And even his sacrificing, isn't he? He comes with an offering, we see in verse 3. He doesn't come empty-handed. But interestingly, he comes and he says, okay, God, I brought you this. And God says, I don't want that. In fact, not only do I not accept that, which is in your hand, I don't, I don't accept you, Cain. I don't, I don't want your worship. In fact, I, I don't have regard for you. 
And, and that's incredibly sobering. And of course, the question that screams out from this text is why? Why? What was it about Abel's offering that God accepts and Cain's offering that God rejects? And now, what you probably have heard, if you've heard this text preach, it was, well, Abel brought a sheep and, and he killed it and there's blood and God requires a, a blood sacrifice, a substitute. And, and Cain, Abel knew this and Cain said, well, I'm just going to bring some, some painless crops. But I don't think that's what it's teaching. In fact, the Bible will tell us later on is that you, in Israel's day, you could worship God with cereal offerings and, and, uh, fruit offerings and flower offerings. I don't think there's anything wrong with the offering that Cain brought. In fact, you notice what Cain is. He's a farmer. So what else is he going to bring? He's a farmer. He takes some, some vegetables and he brings them to God and, and Abel's a shepherd and he brings a, a sheep to God. I, I don't think the problem was what was in their hands. The problem with Cain was what was in his heart. You see, the sin wasn't in the offering. The sin was that he was worshiping God with the wrong heart. The reason I believe this is because the text tells us that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. The very first, the next, the firstborn in the next generation, he brings it to God. But Cain does not bring the first fruit of his flock, which God is going to constantly ask for. I want the first fruits. The first fruits is the, is the first harvest. Now, a farmer would never take the first harvest and eat it or give it away. It would be the seed that he's going to plant for next year. It's his insurance. And so his harvest may fail for the rest of the year, but he'll know he'll have a crop next year because he took the first fruit and he pulled it aside and he knows he's going to plant that next year. And God, throughout his word, says, I, I don't want what's left over. I want, I want the first fruit. I want what's first. I don't want you to give out of your excess. I want you to, to give me what's first and trust that I'll meet your needs. The reason I believe this is the case is because Hebrews 11 verse 4 says, By faith, hear that? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. The praise is not of his gift. The praise is of faith that enabled him to bring the gift. And Cain comes, yeah, he comes with something, but he doesn't come with the first because he's going to keep that for himself. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust God to provide for him. He is not neglecting God, but he just wants God to stay over there. You just, God, you stay in the corner, and and when it's time to worship, I will come and worship you. But I just don't want you uh, throughout my life. I don't want you running my life. I'm going to come first, right? You know, I have to look out for my future. I I want my business to grow. I, I need to take care of myself. Shouldn't you be happy with the surplus? No, he's not happy with the surplus. He's God. And He wants the first. He wants the best. And He wants you to trust Him. See, that's why He wants the first. He doesn't need grain or a sheep. He doesn't need money, service, ministry. He wants your heart. That's what He wanted from Cain. I want you to trust me, son. I will care for you. That's what God is after. I wrote this sermon about three weeks ago. I was working on this very point. My phone rang. It was my realtor. She says, I have some bad news. Your house, which was supposed to sell in five days from now, has fallen out of contract. We're back to square one. I hung up the phone, and it's as if God went right back to the text, my notes, and God said to me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? 
That's what God wants from Cain. And Cain struggles there. The sin begins in his heart. The sin is not an outburst of anger. It's not, it's not rage. It's not murder. It starts there in his heart. God is not mad at Cain because he failed on a technicality. He's upset with Cain because his heart isn't in the worship. He doesn't trust him. He's just going through the motions. And God sees it. Though everybody else may not see it. God sees the heart. So my question for you, is there sin in your heart? Is there anger or bitterness or lust or greed or pride or envy? It will always start in your heart. In fact, what brings you here this morning? Why are you here? Why did you come? Did did you come because you want to give God your worship and your love and your praise? Did you come here because... Your heart brought you. I just want to worship my God today. That's why I'm here. I want to hear from Him and I want to worship Him. That's what God's after. He's after our hearts. He's interested not if you sang a few songs and stayed awake through a long sermon. He wants to know if you love Him. Some people come to church and fake it, don't they? They carry their Bible, bow their head when they pray, they sing a few songs and everybody thinks everything's great with them. But God knows. God sees. God looks at our hearts as He is this morning and is asking, does He love me? Does she trust me? Are you here to give Him your best? You see, sin begins in the heart. But it does not stay there, or at least doesn't stay small there. It begins to fester and grow. You notice at the end of verse 5, we read as we turn to number 2, festering sin. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so you see here that, that God, God rejects Cain's offering. But notice this. This is important that we see this about God. God just doesn't say to Cain, listen, I don't want that because your heart's not in it. And he turns away and, and just walks away from him. You notice after he rejects Cain's offering, God comes to Cain with this encouragement, with this warning. And he begins to ask him questions. According to verse 6, he says, why are you angry? What's going on in your heart? Well, you're mad, Cain. What's, what's happening there? He's not seeking information. What he's trying to do is get Cain to take an honest look at himself. You see, God loves Cain. And he sees what's taking place in his life. And he says, Cain, you have no right to be mad at me. Look at what's happening in your heart. He's trying to expose his sin. This is what God's Word does, doesn't it? It exposes our sins. not all that it does. But it, it's like a CAT scan and it discovers the, the cancer of sin in our life. And God is coming like a surgeon because he wants to take out the cancer that's growing in him. And he gives him this beautiful invitation to repent. In verse 7 he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? I will accept you, Cain. I will accept your worship if you just repent from your sin. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. You see, God is an evangelist. He's the first evangelist. He comes and he offers the gospel to Cain, inviting him to repent. This does not have to be the end of the story. It doesn't have to be this way. If you repent, I will accept you. 
If you bow your knee, if you, I will love you, I will lift you up, but you must repent because I'm not going to bless your sin. I'm not. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to your lack of faith in me. Repent, Cain, God calls. You see, God by His very nature is a Savior. And when He sees sin, He comes and offers salvation. But Cain will have none of it, for we see in verse 5 that Cain is what? Very angry. He is peeved. In fact, we see it in his posture. His face has fallen. Right? I showed up. I sang the songs. I listened to the sermon. I even put money in the offering plate. And it's still not good enough for him. He still says, I want more. I want more. I want more. And he becomes very angry. Plantiga writes about this scene saying, Something has gone wrong with Cain's worship of God. It hadn't worked. It didn't take and, God, and Cain had gotten angry, not puzzled. He had got, gotten angry, not humbled. Cain set himself against a mysterious God, an inscrutable God, who was such a finicky eater that he wouldn't even touch his vegetables. The appropriate response, of course, is to be brokenhearted. If God re- rejects our worship, the response is to be humbled. But Cain isn't humbled, is he? He's just mad. And his sin is festering. And it's growing. And it's abounding. Jesus would tell us in Mark chapter 7, whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him for, for, with, from within. For out of the heart of a man, it comes from inside, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. See, Jesus says it grows in us and it's going to fester and eventually it's going to come out of us. It's going to see it in our thoughts and our actions and our words. This is what's going on in Cain's life. I remember growing up in Southern California, perhaps you remember this, this was a a number of years ago, uh, but California was invaded by what we called the med flies, the Mediterranean fruit fly. And it was devouring the crops out in California. What's interesting about this fly is it doesn't lay its egg on the outside of the fruit and the larva works its way in. It actually lays the egg upon the blossom of the flower. And then the fruit grows over it. And, and, and it's entombed in the fruit and then it eats its way out. And I think it's an incredible picture of sin. What sin does, it starts inside of us. But if it stays there and if we let it, let it exist there, it's going to grow and abide and work its way out from, from our life. I'm telling you, Cain showed up in church and he's a million miles away from murder. He didn't show up in church thinking, maybe I'll kill Abel today. No, he showed up to worship. It's a million miles. But he doesn't get a hold of that sin. It begins to fester and grow. God tells him here in verse 7, sin is crouching. It's, it's right outside. It wants to pounce on you. It wants to devour you. It's like a lion that's going to overcome you. He's saying, he's saying Cain, sin is, I, I see this happening. Sin is taking over. It's growing. It's going to lead you places you don't want to go. It's going to do things in your life. You need to deal with it before it's too late. That's God's warning. I wonder how many times God has warned us of that. I wonder if there's any here this morning that have been coming to church for, for months, maybe years, and God keeps saying to you, listen, if you have sin in your life, you need to deal with it. He keeps exposing it to you. He keeps calling for you to repent. You need to take over. You need to get a handle on this. You need to get some help. You need to get beyond this. 
And time and again, he tells us this, and, and we leave this church building with no change. We just, we just go right back into it. See, we let that happen. It's going to fester in us. It's going to become a monster that we cannot control. In fact, it eventually becomes, as you see thirdly, ruling sin. This is what happens in Cain's life. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and, and killed him. And so instead of killing his sin, he kills his brother. Lack of trust in God moves to anger, which turns into hatred, which turns into murder. Now, do you see how far we've fallen in, in what, two chapters in Genesis? All right. Eve had to be talked into her sin by the devil. Cain cannot be talked out of his sin, even by God himself. And the Bible is showing us our sin, showing us our great need for a, a redeemer. And so he, he slays, slays Abel. Now, the question is, why does he kill Abel? And what has Abel done? I mean, he's mad at God, isn't he? And what, why come against, why does his anger pivot from God to, to this, this brother? And I, I can only guess that just that Abel's a reminder of his sin. He's an irritant, right? He, if he can't kill God, he'll kill God's likeness. That may sound familiar. It sounds a lot like the devil to me. I can't get to God, so I'll destroy those who are made in his image. And this is what's taking over in, in Cain's life. I appreciate again what Plantica said. Cain looked over at Abel and no longer sees his brother. All he sees now is a rival, not somebody to love and lift up, but somebody who needs to be cut down to size. I mean, well, who does Abel think he is? Where does he get on? Why does he always make people feel like losers? A poisonous little fire is eating Cain's innards. And his terrible conclusion is that only his brother's blood can put it out. He strikes him dead. This is a heinous sin. We've gone two generations and now we see how, how bad sin is. Somehow we got in the church this idea that all sin is equal. Now I think what we mean is that all sin is equally wrong. But all sin is not equally bad. There are some sins that are worse than others, and murder is kind of close to the top of that list. And so we, we see that the first person ever to die, the first death, was a death by murder as his brother rose up against him. Sin's crouching there. It's going to rise up a master, you God says. Instead, Cain, the Bible tells us in verse 8, rises up to slay his brother. In fact, you see it's emphatic here, the relationship that they have with each other. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel. Who is he? See that? His brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. The Bible's emphasizing the closeness they're supposed to have. The intimacy. Uh, I wonder if Cain grew up hearing, Now, Cain, look out for your little brother, Abel. You're supposed to, you're the big brother, you're supposed to protect Abel. You're supposed to look out for your brother. And he kills him. He beats him to death. Because sin has begun to rule his life. And so I tell you, as I tell myself this morning, do not underestimate the power of sin. You cannot cohabitate with sin. There's no tie, there's no peace with sin, there's no, I'll keep the sin in the closet, and it's just going to stay there, and I'll open the door when no one's looking. 
It will fester and grow until it begins to rule your life. It begins to take over your life. In fact, you see that, that this is all premeditated. Right? You notice that Cain spoke to his brother Abel. We don't know what he said, but maybe, hey, hey brother, let's go fishing. Let's go for a walk. And out there, maybe the murder weapon was already placed. Maybe there was a shovel already there to get rid of the body. It's all planned out. Perhaps there are some here who plan their sin. I know Christians who do that. They plan their sin before they even commit it. So I'm going to do it at this time. And they plan how they're going to get away with it and plan how they're going to cover their tracks for it. And they, they even plan what they're going to say if they get caught. They plan it all beforehand. And if you're at that place, I want you to understand that sin has begun to rule your life. It's begun to take over in your life. You need help. There perhaps are some here who said, listen, I'm going to get over it this time. I'm going to conquer this sin. This, this time, I mean it, God. This time, I'm going to repent. And you have said that a hundred times. You need help. Sometimes we need help to get over these things. In fact, we see this, I think, here at this last part of our passage. We consider destroying sin. Verse 9, we read, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? He said to him, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So here Cain is going on trial. It's very similar to what God did with his parents, Adam and Eve. He sins and God comes and begins to question him. Where is your brother? What have you done? You notice Cain's response, unlike his parents, is to lie. Right? His parents would, 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 would pass the responsibility, but they would confess. Yes, I ate, but... Right? Well, Cain has gone so far that no, he's not even going to admit to the sin. He's going to lie about it. This is what we do when we get confronted with sin. We first lie about it. I didn't do it. And then if that doesn't work, then we begin to blame others. Okay, yeah, I did it. But here's the reason why I did it. This is why I'm justified in doing it. And we see it here as old as scripture that Cain lies about it. And then he begins to, to, to pass uh, um, or pass the attention on to Abel. He says, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, he's a big boy. Go look for him. Why are you asking me? Why do I have to look, at, why do I have to look after Abel all this time? You go find him, God. That's not my business. And so I ask you, uh, just by way of footnote, are you your brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Yes. You are your brother's keeper. That's why we have a church. That's why we covenant together. We make vows to one another here, saying, I will keep you if you will keep me, that we may walk shoulder and shoulder pursuing righteousness, but I am going to need your help. We need help in this life to follow Christ. We need help to overcome sin. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 3 and verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, lest you be carried away by the deceitfulness of sin. Scripture tells us over and over, we, we need help. We need each other. Listen, is there anyone here who's perfect? Just if, I just want to make sure real quick. Anyone? Are there any sinners here? Yeah, yeah. So that's most of us. It's okay not to be okay. God knows that. He knows you're not okay. So that's no surprise to Him. It's not okay to stay that way. And we need to grow. 
And we may, if sin has begun to rule our life, need each other's help. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6.1, If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore him. How? With a spirit of judgment, looking down my nose, with a spirit of gentleness, the Bible tells us. We need each other. We need the church. And sin begins to work in his life and, and begins to, to overcome him. And Cain says, listen, I don't care about Abel. I'm not his keeper. And so the trial is quickly over. And we see the verdict in verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother is crying to me from the ground. You know, I know what you did, Cain. I hear his blood. It's crying to me for justice. You killed your brother. You are guilty, God says. And then we move down in verse 11 to the sentence. And here it's where we see that Cain just totally, uh, sin totally destroys Cain's life. Notice verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And so the ground is, is cursed. You, you watered the soil with your brother's blood. Now it will respond to you no longer. This must have been devastating on Cain. He's a farmer. And no longer shall he be a farmer. He, if you will, he loses that, that job. And, and we go on in verse 12. In fact, he says, you shall be what a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Right? You, you have to wander now. There's no home for you. I spent seven years down in Charlotte County, a very rural county, and a bunch of farmers down there. And the land is huge. This is my granddaddy's land. It'll be my grandson's land. And it was all about the land. We get together on prayer meeting every Wednesday night. We haven't done this once since I've been here, but almost every Wednesday night in growing season, you know what we pray for? Rain. We're just gathering, God, please let it rain. Please let it rain. This is what we pray for. It's huge to them. It's all about the land. And I see Cain here, this, this farmer, and he says, no, it's no more. You don't get to work the land anymore. You're going to be a fugitive. You're going to be a wanderer. You're banished. You have no home. You have no job. It reminds me of the devil. Remember when the devil appears there to God in Job chapter 1, and God says, where have you come from? And the Job says, from wandering to and fro upon the earth. And so we see that Cain here becomes this, this wanderer. And so it is almost here in verse 13 as if God says, okay, do, do you have any last words before you go? And Cain, Cain speaks up. First time we hear, hear him speak. He says in verse 13, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now, there's two ways to understand that. Um, one way is that this is too hard, right? Can we have a little leniency here? But that word punishment is very interesting. It's almost always in Scripture translated iniquity or guilt. And I wonder if Cain is saying, My sin is greater than I could bear. My guilt is is greater than I could bear. How, how am I going to live with myself? I can't believe I killed my brother. I can't believe I have to go home and tell mom and dad that their son's not coming home because I killed him and now I have to leave. I have to go and they'll never see me again. And I wonder if God's getting to, I hope, I wonder if he's getting through to him and he's seen what sin has done in his life. And then in verse 14, he says, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. He's saying, God, you're kicking me out of town. Where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to work? And then even worse, he says, uh, um, and from your face I shall be hidden. You're telling me, God, I can't worship you anymore? I can't come back to church anymore? I can't seek you anymore? I mean, could you imagine what that would be like if you leave here in about 10 minutes and God's standing out in the parking lot? 
And he says, yeah, come over here. Listen, I'm done. You know, we've been doing this for years, and you're just faking it all this time, and it's done. And so uh, you're out of here. You, I, I'm, I'm taking your house. I'm taking your family. I'm taking your job. I'm taking your money. I'm taking your friends. Everything you think you built, which I actually built through you, I'm taking back. Because you don't even recognize that I put it in your life. You're done. So get out. And by the way, don't come back to church. Don't come to any church. And don't bother praying to me because I'm not going to listen to you. In fact, why don't you give me that Bible under your arm? Because you don't use it anyways. Because we're finished here. you imagine? No job, no money, no family, no friends, no home. Off you go. Cain is beginning to understand the destruction that sin has brought in his life. I hope he's sobering up. What you see at the end of verse 14. He says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. You know, this is how it's going to end, God. I'm just going to leave, walk out of town. Word's going to spread. I killed my brother, and it's not going to be long before they strike me dead, which would be totally just, totally right. But you notice how God responds. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Not so. Aren't you glad our God is not like Cain who just strikes down whoever displeases him? Our God is full of grace and mercy and goodness. Though there are consequences to sin, you shall see as we study these early chapters in Genesis. Whenever man sins, yes, God comes with consequences. But it's always mixed with grace. There's always grace. And so he says to Cain, no, no one's going to kill you. For he goes on and says, If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put on a, a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. He says, Cain, you belong to me. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to, in fact, protect you the way you should have protected your little brother. So he puts a mark on him. I don't know if he puts a tattoo on his forehead. I don't know what's going on. Don't mess with Cain. I don't, property of God. I don't, I don't know what this mark was, but it was clear that, well, we don't touch that guy. Because God is protecting him. We see the end, this destruction that sin brought in verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You see, there's consequences to sin. It just destroys your life if you just let it grow. And so he is sent away from God. The land of Nod is, is the land of wandering. And he goes east. We know that east from Eden is always farther away from God in the book of Genesis. It, it destroys your life. And we've seen this happen in people's lives, haven't you? You know people whose family's been destroyed, their finances been destroyed, their jobs destroyed, their health destroyed, their life destroyed because sin gets out of control. And yet we think, well, not me. That's not going to happen to me. I, I, got, I got this beast. I, you know, I got it under control. And I'm telling you, the Word of God tells us if we flirt with it and play with it, it will begin to wreak havoc. I mean, is the sin really paying off anyways? I mean, is it really giving you what it promises to give you? Is it really bringing all the happiness and joy that it promises? It never does. It's always empty. It makes you promises, but it drives you farther away from God. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be fooled. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We reap what we sow. Cain reaped what he sow. This is his story, and I think it's our story. And so let's be very careful as we close this morning. 
Because what we like to do is we read the Bible and we say, okay, well, there's good guys and there's bad guys. And I'm with the good guys. There's Cain and there's Abel, and I'm Abel, and everybody else is Cain. Everybody who's mean to me is Cain. You cut me off in the traffic, you're Cain. Right? Those persecuting the church, they're Cain. The other political party, they're a bunch full of Cains. And we're over here, poor Abel's, getting beat up on by Cain's. That's how we, we moralize the Scripture. But the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So stop thinking you're able. You're not. You're Cain. And I'm Cain. And this scripture is given to us so we can look at the sin we've allowed in our heart to turn from it and to fight from it. That's who we are. We're Cain. So if we're Cain, who does Abel point to? Jesus. It points to Jesus. See, the Bible is not a book that says there are good guys and bad guys. We're the good guys. In fact, you read the Bible, and it's always God's people who end up messing up all the time. The Bible tells us we're all bad guys, and there's one good guy. His name's Jesus. And he's the good guy. He has come to save us. In fact, you think about the parallels between Abel and Jesus. I mean, did, did Cain kill Abel? Yes. Well, who killed Jesus? Well, Scripture tells me that he was delivered over to death for our sins. I think it's my sin that put him there. He did that because he wanted to pay for my sin and your sin. He says, you're a sinner. You deserve to be sent away from me, banished forever. But I'm going to take the penalty for your sin and I'm going to place it upon me. And I'm going to die in your place. I'll be banished instead of you. I will take the consequences instead of you. In fact, Scripture tells us in Hebrews 12:4, Come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to be sprinkled by uh, the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. God says, Abel's blood's crying out to me. But the Bible also tells us Jesus' blood cries out, but it speaks a better word. You see, Abel's blood cries out, vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out, forgiveness. Abel's blood cries out, destruction. Jesus' blood cries out, resurrection. Abel's blood cries out, no hope. Jesus' blood cries out, there is hope for eternity. Do you see why it is that you and I do not live in the land of Nod? Do you know why it is we get to come here this morning to worship the one true God? It is not because you are righteous like Abel. It is not because you have brought your first fruits to God. It is because He has given you His first fruits, namely Jesus, on the cross, dead for our sins, raised. To show us God has received us. God gave his best to ransom you, to redeem you from the nod in which you live, from the sin in which you live. And now that we all Christians have been brought back from our wandering to God through the work of Jesus, our job is to now listen to him. Because that's Cain's problem. He just doesn't listen to God. God comes to him and says, listen, you need to turn. And Cain says, no chance. And I just wonder if there are some here that God is speaking to and has been speaking to for months and you say, no, I'm I'm just not going to turn. He's saying you need to repent, you need to confess, you need to get help, you need to turn to Christ. Why don't you listen to me? I'm telling you this morning that God is good. 
And he comes and he asks us, what have you done? What, what are you doing? Why are you living this way? Why are you doing this? If you turn, will I not accept you? Will you come back to me? And so as we end this morning, I wonder if there are any fakers here just coming out of duty with no real delight in their heart for God. I wonder if there are any people here that have anger and bitterness in their heart. Maybe there are someone who have made peace with sin, says, I'm not going to fight it, we're just going to live together. Perhaps there are some here that find sin to begin to rule them. You're not quite sure how to escape. Maybe there are some here who are living under the consequences of sin, the destruction that it brought. And my plea to you is that you would cry out to God. The Bible tells us, and I tell you this based upon the authority of God's word, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can cry out today, save me. Put your mark on me. I want to belong to you you will bow your knee to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the great offer of the gospel. We thank you that though we are, are like Cain, that we, we all flirt with sin and dabble in it. That you have sent Jesus to redeem us. That Jesus has died for us. And so we praise you for that. We delight in Jesus. And I pray that now that we have been rescued by Him, You will help us to turn from the sin in our life. So please, even now, Holy Spirit, will You reveal to us the sin in our lives. We all have it there. And give us the power to turn from it. Give us a hatred for it. Will You open our eyes to this Word this morning that we can see how heinous and wicked it is that we may run from it. Help us. Help us to get help. Help us to grab a brother or sister and say, Listen, I need help. Will You help me? Father, will you please do this work in our lives? Will you please help us to overcome the sin that is in us? And I pray, especially, we pray, especially for our friend here this morning that has yet to bow their knee to Jesus. Will you show them how good you are and how loving and gracious you are and what forgiveness is like? Will you give them a faith to believe and to trust that they may turn their life over to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.